we look at these verses today, it, uh, it certainly connects, you know, it's interesting, sometimes we wrestle with how God's Word connects, one part connects to another part, and it's interesting, again, I'm thankful for Ben uh, Hallberg's preaching a couple weeks ago, Garrett filling the pulpit uh, last week, and for just, as I got to listen to the messages on the podcast, and for good sound teaching for, from those folks. Uh, Garrett's message in particular last week, as we think about the verses today and get ready to read those, be helpful to kind of connect them together. He talked about the, the dangers of uh, accumulating all of this stuff that we tend to accumulate in life and hoping that that will save us, that that will rescue us. Uh, and looking horizontally in that way around us to see what we see there. And he says, uh, we saw last week, Garrett helped us uh, realize that when our hearts and minds are looking sort of horizontally and not looking up to the Lord, then we're, we're putting our trust and hope in the wrong place. And in fact, he said, you can't even add an hour to your life. You and I can't control that. So we can't control, so last week was, we can't control when and, or, or if we're going to go and meet the Lord, right? We can't control our going to Him. This week, we're going to talk about the fact that we can't control or know when Jesus is going to come back to us, which may be a totally new concept for us. You may not know about the idea of Jesus coming back. So we're going to talk about that today. And I want you to be thinking about this key factor, this key question. Are we ready? Are you and I ready for the return of Jesus? Right? Are we ready for that? So read along with me silently as I read aloud. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 35 down through 48. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he does not know and he'll cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. 
Everyone to whom much is given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Let's pray one more time together. Father, help us to see more clearly in the next few minutes what it looks like for us to live in a posture of regular spiritual readiness for the return of our Lord and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've probably shared a time or two in the past about one of the favorite sort of military stories that I've had a chance to read and learn about. It's, uh, a movie's been made about it called The Great Raid, and the book is entitled Ghost Soldiers. It was really the largest rescue in U.S. military history taking place way back in 1945 near the end of World War II. Uh, the Japanese were still holding thousands of, of prisoners. This was in the, the uh, Pacific campaign. And many of the soldiers that had been taken into those prison camps, had, there had been tens of thousands of them in the Philippines in particular, who were essentially left behind. You remember that the uh, Japanese forces came so quickly and the American forces were so ill-prepared that essentially uh, General MacArthur left with what materials and troops that he could and said, what? I shall return. I will return. Well, the movie The Great Raid tells the story about one particular camp of imprisoned soldiers, about 500 of them, Cabanatuan was the name of the location. And their story of this rescue, the, uh, the army had formed a new group or reformed a group, the Rangers, which when you think about it, today we think of them as special forces, but this was their first time uh, carrying out that operation before they had cared for the, the horses of the cavalry. They were the Rangers, right? And now they were going on their first sort of special forces mission to go because the, the, the uh, Allied troops had become aware that as Je the Japanese were retreating and now being defeated, each step of the way they were killing off all of the prisoners that they held in their camps. So these special forces were tasked with going behind the enemy lines and rescuing all of these prisoners. But an interesting thing happened as they carried out this flawless nighttime rescue mission. They had full surprise. They caught the enemy off guard and came in and they came with significant force as well. But as they came to the barracks and the places where the prisoners were being housed, many of them in the early days of the war, of course, remembered perhaps those words of MacArthur that he would return. But as the months went by, and the years went by, they began to be uncertain, unsure whether anybody was ever going to return for them. And so they weren't really ready. When the U.S. troops showed, showed up, when MacArthur, if you will, showed back up in that region, they were surprised. A bunch of them couldn't walk or get along because they were physically malnourished, but they actually wouldn't leave the barracks, many of them, because they were so surprised. They were not ready for the rescue. They weren't ready to be taken out by... Uh, those who wanted to deliver them. Our passage today reminds us 
of the invitation for us to live in a readiness, not only for rescue, but also a readiness to be, to come before the Lord and to give account for our lives and how we've lived in light of the gospel and in light of God's redeeming work. To be ready in that way. A way that we could summarize it is this, that since Jesus is coming back, it's real simple today. I know sometimes I got some complicated uh, phrases for us. This one's simple. Since Jesus is coming back, we should live spiritually ready. Spiritually ready. Well, we've got at least two problems with this. One, for some of us here, this is a teaching that either we real easily forget the idea that Jesus is coming back, or maybe that we've never heard before. We're unaware of that. I know that was my situation growing up in the church. I don't think I ever heard about this. So that's one struggle that we've got to remember this or to learn it for the first time. And the second struggle we've got is this. If it was tough for prisoners in the most unfavorable situation to maintain their hope and their focus and readiness for one to come back, how much more difficult it is for us that even with the struggles and difficulties of our life, have a lot of good stuff and things that we enjoy, a lot of blessing that we can enjoy in this world. How much more difficult is it for us to be ready, to have a posture of readiness? So let's think about this today and look at the beginning part of this passage and see what it says first about the idea of readiness and then how Jesus kind of breaks this down. The first thing we see in verse 35, if you look with me, is that we're supposed to be ready for Jesus to come back. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men. And then we get the picture here. The master of the house has gone off and the servants are in charge of handling things and they, they should be ready if he comes back at any time, right? And you get the idea of keeping the lamps burning. Maybe you've had that occasion where you were expecting company at your house and they were coming from out of town and the flight got delayed and then the flight got delayed a little bit more or they texted and said we're stuck in traffic or we didn't get going on time and, and it's 11 o'clock and then it's 12 o'clock and then it's 12.30. Well, do you just pack stuff up and go lay back down in your bed and oh, hope they find the door, hope they can get in here and find a bed to lay down in? No, at least somebody in the house has got to stay up, be ready to welcome them, the guests are coming. So the picture is one we can understand. Even some of the sort of somewhat interesting language here, it says, dress yourselves for action. This is an interesting phrase. You've probably heard it before if you've got one of those old family Bibles around the house or if you're a King James person. You know, it says, gird up your loins. That's what it says here, which uh, sounds like some combination of a visit to the urologist and to the meat, uh, meat section of the grocery store, right? So I don't know what, what all that's about. But, uh, but here's what it was. The, in ancient times, uh, the men also would wear long garments. And we can picture how, you know, some of you ladies here probably today in a long skirt or something, if you had to uh, move quickly, one of the first things you would need to do is kind of hike things up a little bit, right? And the men as well in biblical times would have to do that. It was just this idea of get yourself physically ready to move. So the same way that you would think of that posture in order to physically move, 
we're being invited to be ready in that way spiritually. Look at verse 37, because this is interesting too. It says this multiple times in here. It says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. That's a real interesting phrase. And unfortunately, blessed is kind of like some other biblical words that we use, sort of faith and love and whatnot, and they get kind of watered down by our culture. We lose sight of what they really mean. Well, blessed in, in this sense is the idea, biblically, of happiness and joy and fulfillment in God. Now, it says, blessed, blessed are you. You will have this happiness, fulfillment, enjoyment in God if you're ready in this way. Okay, so we're going to read along here and realize that this is, there's a part of this that's like an accountability visit, you know, from the master checking up on the servants on, on how we're doing. There's an accountability part of it. But I also want you to see the grace that's woven all through this because we're blessed if we're ready. So that's the invitation for us. We'll skip the last part of 37 and we're going to come back to it in a minute. So that's the first part of this picture. And then in verse 38, if you caught it when we read it, Jesus switches the analogy just a bit. Now, he says, if he comes in the second watch of the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. And then he says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, would, he would not have left his house to be broken into. So we've switched it. Now we've got the master waiting at home and somebody's coming who is unexpected. We're not ready for it, right? What would you do if you got a heads up that somebody was coming into your house at night? My wife, Patience, likes to laugh at the things I'll do, you know, occasionally in the middle of the night, you know, every six months or every year or something. All of a sudden you hear boom, 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 something in the house. And how do you respond, right? In my case, I'm like, you know, in man mode. I got to get up and defend the premises. Get ready. I have probably no likelihood of succeeding in that if somebody else is coming into my house and really ready to take me on. But I'm going to go try to deal, deal with it. I'm going to go find the baseball bat that I've got. Or some of you may have some other, uh, some other means of dealing with intruders. Get ready, right? Get ready. Well, you're not going to be... Or maybe you have 911 on speed dial and about to hit the button, right? You're going to hide around the corner with that baseball bat and you're ready. You're going to lock everything down as best you can. If you knew a thief was coming, you would do something. And Jesus is reminding us here, we don't know when Jesus is going to come. So two key things that we're invited to think about more regularly and take into our heart more fully here. And if you get nothing else out of the sermon today, just take these away. Jesus is coming back, right? So we ought to be ready, and we don't know when it's going to happen. Okay, so we ought to be ready, and we don't know when it's going to happen. What does that look like? Well, number one, by way of application to this first point, uh, we need to watch out for teaching that leads us away from this on either side. Again, my context was growing up in, in my particular church background. I, I don't think I ever heard about it. There's probably a lot of things I heard that I didn't receive and take in. But I don't think I ever heard that Jesus was going to come back. That that's something that I should be living ready to experience in a ready posture. Others of us may uh, have gotten caught up at different points or we've got friends and neighbors who do. In the various books that seem to come out every single year and try to do what? They're always bestsellers somehow. I don't know why we buy them or who buys them if it's not us, but that are going to tell us 
because of what's going on in the times, when exactly Jesus is going to come back. My favorite one was 88 Reasons Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. It was a classic. It was a classic right up until January 1st, 1989. That was when it kind of fell off a little bit. You get the picture. So I appreciate the heart that people have of trying to find, oh, what this prophecy in the Bible says. We want to really understand it and appreciate it. The problem is this verse right here. It says you're not going to know. We're invited to be ready at all times for Jesus's return. So that's one challenge we've got. So we're not going to know when, but we do need to know that. Okay, we're not going to know when, but we do need to know that. Jesus is coming back. Here's the other part of this that's really important. It's obvious, especially if we go down through the rest of this passage, that Jesus is coming back to, with an expectation that those who have been impacted by the reality of the kingdom of God are going to be living in such a way that they're ready. They're going to be spiritually ready. And I want to walk through a couple of things. You know, there's a bunch of reasons in the Bible that we should live in a life where we're attempting to be obedient to God in all things, even very difficult things. One, follow with me on these, one is we ought to be ready because of God and His character. Right? We were made in His image, we were designed to reflect God, and so we ought to be ready and live in a certain way because we know God's character. Two, we ought to live in a certain way or seek to because of God's grace, because he's been so kind to save and rescue you and me, as we read in our call to confession. We may not want to believe it. We can reject it if we you know, choose to, but the Bible clearly teaches that outside of Christ, we're headed for separation eternally from God, and Jesus has chosen to rescue us. So we ought to respond with tremendous love because he's loved us. We ought to respond in obedience to the Lord because it's good for us. Right? We were reading to the boys. Patience does a better job of this, but she was reading one of the Proverbs last night. And we were talking about how just it's, it's good to follow God's word. It's generally going to be a positive thing and a helpful thing for us. It, you can try to go against gravity, you know, but it's eventually going to come crashing down. That's the reality of it. So it's good to follow God's path. Uh, one more, and then I'll, I'll get to this point. We should follow God because we've been talking about this a little bit in our men's Bible study on Monday night, because uh, we are designed to have fullness of delight in God. We're designed to have our satisfaction fully in God. And God gives us other things around us, family and loved ones and material blessings that are good things, but our satisfaction is supposed to be in God, and we only can have that if we're seeking to live and step with Him. And on top of all of these... We should live seeking to walk in step with God because Jesus is going to come back. If we don't go to him first, he's coming to us. And he's going to invite us. Our salvation is going to be by grace and by his mercy. But our reality and rewards in heaven, the Bible says, is going to be based on how we do what we do with God, what God has given to us. So he's going to invite us to to give account and to be ready for him. So what does that look like? What's it look like for you to live in a posture of readiness for Jesus's return? How, how might that shape this week uh, your personal relating to God? 
just how you think about God, how you seek God throughout the day. Uh, maybe your personal prayer life or even your participation in our church worship service and our prayers together. How might that shape your receiving and wrestling with the Bible, getting in places where you can hear and understand God's word more? How might that shape our marriage, our parenting, children, your calling to be godly children? How might that shape our work, our school, our friendships? Map that out. Try to think this week at my work, with my family, whatever setting, what would it look like to live in greater readiness for Jesus' return? Next couple of points are going to be shorter. Here's a beautiful thing that I've already mentioned. In the midst of a pretty somewhat stern passage, this first part's got some stern components to it, some accountability, and then the last part of the passage, too, is going to have some challenging words for us about eternity. In the midst of that, I want you to see some markers of God's grace. Look back with me at verse 37 before we move on. Just something quick I want to touch on. It says, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. And then listen to this. It says, Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service. This is the master now who's returned. We're still on the first analogy. And have them, the servants, recline a table and he will come and serve them. Is that awesome? In this passage about the fact that we need to be ready and we need to be in a posture of kingdom readiness in our life, we're also given this great encouragement that guess what? When the master comes back, because he's the one of grace and because the Bible says he did not come to serve, uh, be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, he's going to continue even in his uh, return to serve us. That's the way he delights to live and to be. It reminds us of these passages in Scripture that tell us that he's, he's laying down his life for the sheep. John 13 has this awesome picture of God's service to us where the disciples take off their shoes and the Lord of the universe incarnate gets down on one knee and cleans off their dirty feet. Scriptures tell us elsewhere that Jesus always lives to intercede for his children. So Jesus is coming to serve, even as he's coming in his return for both judgment and for accountability. We need to be encouraged by that today. That's good news, isn't it? That he's going to come in that posture, continue to serve us. Two more things I want to touch on, questions that might come from this section, second section of the passage. Uh, what should we do while we stay ready? You know, Peter, Peter, we never know what's going to come out of his mouth. But, he, but he's no dummy here. In verse 41, if you look with me, he says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Right? Can we sneak out from underneath this thing? And maybe you're trying to talk to all those folks over there. Not to us, especially not us disciples. And Jesus has an interesting answer. It's kind of like when, uh, when you hear these uh, presidential debates or other campaign debates, and they ask the person a question, right? And then the person just 
answers whatever they want to answer, right? <laughs> just oblivious to the question, they just springboard off onto their particular answer that they want to say. Uh, same thing, it seems, here with Jesus. Peter asks him this question, and Jesus is answering it, but not exactly the way Peter intends. Jesus just says, anybody who in any way can be considered to have responsibility for others around them, that's what the master is going to be looking for. And if we're taking our life, he says later, down in verse uh, 44 and following, if we're taking the life that God gave us and just using it for our own purposes, in this parable, it's the, you know, the, the servants that are supposed to be keeping the house, uh, you know, drinking and going crazy, having a big old party while mom and dad are away, right? No, Jesus says we're invited to take the life that he's given to us and use it to be a blessing to others. Look at this verse here. It's a little, it's a little hard to follow the wording of it, at least in the ESV translation. It says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And the sentence before that is, who then is the faithful and wise manager? That's what the returning Jesus is looking for whom his master will set over his household and give them their portion of food at their proper time. So what's this saying to you and me? Parents, if you've got responsibility, or grandparents, for people in your family, children or grandchildren, how are we taking responsibility to feed spiritually and care for them? Church leaders, elders and deacons that are among us, pastors. We could probably bring church staff into this. Jesus is asking us, how are we using that life that God has given us to pour into and invest in others uh, spiritually? A lot of us uh, in the workforce probably have some people that we oversee or direct or at least work together with. What, how are we living out our calling to, to care for them, to share the gospel, to share the love of Christ, to serve, all of those things these verses are challenging us with. So one thing we should do to be ready, that it looks like to be a ready posture, is to look around us and say, who can I love, who can I serve, who can I share God's word with, God's message of salvation with? Last question for us is this. How important is this? And it's really a question that's bigger than just sort of are we spiritually ready? It's how important is it to be in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ where we're ready for him to come back? And the answer given in this passage, again, we've already touched on the theme in our service and we didn't even plan it that way. I don't I mean the, the New City Catechism is what the New City Catechism is for this week. And it has some great little questions for us that are about that are super positive and upbeat and encouraging about God's love for us. And then it has some challenging things like the one we read earlier today about eternal consequences of turning away from the Lord versus eternal delight in turning to him. And if you look at the last part of these verses, it says the same sort of thing. Verse 47 that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone 
to whom much has been given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Well, you may wish that you didn't show up at church today, right? Because <laughs> we've now all heard it. I've been chewing on it all week. We've all been hearing it. And it's a sobering thing for us to consider. How will I respond to my Lord, my Master, my Savior, my Redeemer, my King? How will I live in readiness for Him to come? In closing, a couple of weeks ago, I used an illustration to try to help us think about, this was a couple of uh, sections ago in Luke, where it talks about having a good eye, right? And we were talking about when a batter's up to bat in baseball, and this weird thing that we do when we're cheering for the batter, and we say, you know, good eye, if you saw the strike or saw the ball. And it's kind of a strange thing to do, you know, you wouldn't say good mind or good face or good, you know, you say good eye, but that means you're seeing well, you're looking at the right thing in the right way. And it's interesting to kind of bring that full circle today. I was thinking about, you can tell I've been to a lot of baseball games this summer. I was thinking about the catcher and what the catcher's job is. And I'll just maybe bring this home for us from the passage today. You know, a catcher's not going to be able to do his job if he's not looking at the pitcher. And you know, those pitchers, we had a game not too long ago, my son was up to bat and the pitcher was one of these really slow pitchers. I was like, dude, are you ever going to throw the ball? Throw the ball. And, and he was also one of those, you know, sort of scattered ones that he'd turn and he'd throw the second. If there's a runner there and turn and throw the first, he might do it three times. And you know, the pitcher sometimes would just step off the mound. The catcher can't do anything about that. I, he doesn't know when the pitcher's going to do that, when the pitcher's going to throw the ball. Presumably when he gets here and he gets in his windup, I guess he knows the ball's coming. But the catcher has a job. The catcher can't turn like this if the pitcher's over there. He sure shouldn't turn like this. He's got to be ready for that ball to come when it's pitched in there, right? That's the posture of you and I each day are invited to have. I'll tell you, I don't do it. I imagine there's others in here, no, but Jesus is inviting us to wake up every morning and ask the question, what, what, how should I live today knowing that I might meet my Savior today? One way or another. Might be that hour that I can't add, or it might be Him coming on back to me. What's that look like for you and for me today and in the week ahead? Let's pray.